Hello, everyone out there in podcast land. This is David Driscoll from 219, and I am back podcasting after a 10-year hiatus from my old podcast, which is almost entirely irrelevant now in 2023. I remember, you know, interviewing the Van Winkles and Harlan Wheatley about what was in each Pappy Van Winkle and you know, all the Weller bourbons, and and then that blew up, and it became a world of its own. And now I'm less interested in what's happening in that side of the of the industry. I'm I'm more interested in what's happening behind the scenes, and creating a window for those of you that are interested in how the wine and spirits industry works to look through and to see how the liquids that you enjoy end up in the bottle and maybe some interesting stories behind how they got there. There's plenty of people out there doing reviews. There's plenty of people out there singing the praises of whiskey, telling you what you should be drinking, telling you what's good, maybe giving you a history lesson. Um, This is going to be none of those things. I am someone who has 20 minutes to kill routinely throughout the day. Maybe 20 minutes on the treadmill, 20 minutes on the row machine, 20 minutes between appointments in the car, maybe I'm cleaning the house. I like 20-minute podcasts that teach me something interesting that I didn't know, and I think I can fill 20 minutes with some interesting stories about alcohol that might get you interested in drinking something that you haven't had before. So for the first episode today we are going to talk about who makes private labels and what's in them, and maybe some of the more interesting private labels that you could find and enjoy out there. So what is a private label? Well, if you've been to Costco, you've probably seen Kirkland, where Costco works directly with certain distillers and bottlers to create their own vodka labels, their own gin labels, their own scotch labels. Trader Joe's does the same thing. So do numerous other grocery stores and large retailers across the country. They do this because they can make a larger margin by buying direct, passing it through a distribution partner, selling it for the same price or less. And if the quality is comparable to the big brand, it's it's no different than Whole Foods version of lentils or salt or you know, Trader Joe's version of pasta, there's definitely more margin to be made by going direct. So the question a lot of people have is, are they any good? And if they are, which ones are worth looking into and why? And so now that I work with some of the brands that create these labels, I'm in an interesting point in my career where I have a, a real inside look at how these private labels come to fruition and more importantly, what is in them. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. So let's get into it. As someone who worked in retail for a large part of my career, over 12 years, two different retailers, three if you count uh, my little stint at Wine and Liquor Depot helping my friend Chris Cusseter, who we'll speak to in just a little bit, I definitely had a stigma against Total Wine. And if you don't know what Total Wine is, it's a huge national retailer that has mega stores full of all sorts of spirits and beers and mixers and everything you could think of. And they get a bad rap in the independent wine and spirits scene because they're sort of this giant corporate monstrosity. And those who work in the independent retail side sort of see themselves as the intellectuals. If we were a record store, uh, we would be the record store from high fidelity, right? Where 
you look down on some of the larger superstores because you feel like you have a superior knowledge and your passion, you know, breathes more life into your curation of wine and spirits. I definitely fell into that group, so I'm guilty as charged. I saw Total Wine as sort of a bait-and-switch operation where you go in looking for one thing, and they talk you out of that, and they you know make you buy their private label. And I'm, I'm sure there's some of that that still goes on. But at the end of the day, having now worked with Total Wine and trained some of their staff members and gone in and done some events with them, I am sort of a huge Total Wine fan now. I regularly drink their private labels. I'm in awe of their ability to deliver value in some of these products. And that's what I want to talk about right now. A private label can be can come to fruition in a number of different ways, direct from the distillery, direct from a bottler. There's a bottler that I work with called Alexander Murray. And if you've been to Costco, you'll see Alexander Murray on the Kirkland bottles. They had a contract back in the day with Edrington when the Kirkland Scotch brand first started. And if you know who Edrington is, Edrington is the the parent company of Macallan. As a result, because of that connection with Edrington, the original Kirkland bottles were Macallan. So when you went in and you saw Kirkland Highland Scotch 18-year or 12-year, and it had a sherry finish and it looked, you know, delicious and it was $50, a lot of people sort of turned up their nose and said, Costco scotch. I mean, who wants that? I'm more sophisticated. I, you know, I drink a fine Highland Macallan or Balvany and, you know, I have superior tastes to whatever Kirkland could be bottling. But as the years went by, the joke was sort of on the Macallan drinkers because you could be buying Macallan 18 from Costco for about 50 bucks. And the people who knew were putting cases and cases away in their garages because they realized they'd stumbled across one of the biggest secrets on earth. And so the legend of that sort of took off on message boards and various you know, social media sites. I can tell you today that when Costco has Kirkland 18-year-old available, I buy it. Because I know the distilleries that Alexander Murray is working with, and they're no slouch. And now being behind the scenes working on some of those products, it's stupefying sometimes what they're able to put together uh, for the price and deliver it to Costco and to the consumer. Alexander Murray also bottles for Trader Joe's, and they make a few brands for Total Wine that you may have seen. One of them is called Bothan. It's a lowland single malt whiskey. Um, Another one is called Eyed and Stills, which is an Irish whiskey. And they have a Japanese label called Kaigen. And those are all sold only to Total Wine. They're not sold anywhere else. And if you're curious as to why somebody would do that, I'll give you the short version, but it's I could do a whole podcast episode just about this. In order to be distributed in the United States, you need to hire an importer. That importer will be in the state where the importer is located, and then they will sell to different distributors in other states. And then those distributors will sell to retailers and bars and restaurants, and then you buy it at those places. The network and the management that it takes to oversee and sort of rein in all of these different companies that are doing distribution for you is enormous. And it costs money to hire people to do that for you. For some producers that don't have that much whiskey to sell and are limited in what they have to offer anyways, they can relieve themselves of this entire headache 
by selling to an importer that sells only to Total Wine and Spirits and to no one else. And because Total Wine is located in so many different states, that becomes a national footprint for that brand, but where they only have one importer and distributor and one customer, and they can sell thousands of cases just at Total. So it makes sense why brands would want to do that. So when you think that everything at Total Wine must just be whatever they, whatever slop you know they could throw together and try to trick you into buying, um, absolutely not the case. Couldn't be further from the truth. Let's look at Bothan as an example. Bothan again is a uh, there's a bourbon and sherry finish. It's two different single malts. They both sell for about thirty five dollars. It's one hundred percent lowland single malt. And it's not from Glen Kinchy, and it's not from Alcantoshan. So you can pretty much narrow it down from there. There's, there's only a few distilleries that start with B, and Bothan isn't one of them. So when you think about the price of what a single malt from that distillery would run you, let's say it's you know, $55, $60, and you think about the fact that this is the same single malt from that distillery, which is being offered to you for $35, the savings is remarkable. The reason that Bothan isn't a well-known name is because Bothan doesn't mean anything to anybody. You would have to know the secret in order to know that Bothan is the incredible deal that it is. Same with another brand from a company called Hunter Lang, with whom I've worked many, many years. If you um, remember my k wine merchant days, we would buy a lot of single barrels from Hunter Lang, Old Malt Cask and others. Hunter Lang launched a brand in Europe and the UK called Scarabus, which is an Isla single malt whiskey. So similar to the Bothan, it's from a region that has a limited number of distilleries, and it's a single malt, so you can narrow it down as to which distillery it most likely comes from. Think about how many peated whiskeys there are on Isla. Bunahaven's not typically all that peaty. You can scratch that one off. They're not buying from Kilhoman because they're independent and they don't have enough whiskey, so scratch that one off. You know, and you can you can you can go down the list from there. The point is, I went to Total Wine the other day and I bought a bottle of cask strength scarabus for $39.99, and there was a $5 coupon that I had, so I got it for $34.99. 57% ABV Isla single malt whiskey. It was $35. And it's delicious, and I use it for highballs. So my point is, when you start to look at the scope of what's being offered at Total Wine, it ends up being really compelling. And as I started digging into these private labels, and I started looking at the scope of what they have on the shelf, I became really sort of in awe of what they were able to put together. I know that I have a friend out there who agrees with me, and his name is Chris Cusseter, who I mentioned before. He is now the CEO of Alexander Murray, and he and I worked together and became friends uh, when he ran a store in LA called Wine Liquor Depot. He sold that store a few years ago and now works for Alexander Murray full-time. Interesting thing about Chris as well is that he is a former member of the Scottish national rugby team. And while we may not know who he is here in the US, in Scotland, he's a big deal because he was a very, very good rugby player. And I thought we'd bring him on to discuss some of this as well. All right. I'm welcoming in Chris Cusseter 
rugby superstar and current CEO of Alexander Murray. How are you, Chris? I'm good, David. I'm good. How are you? I like the hat. Thank you. I'm glad that we're doing this on Zoom so you can see how cool I look today. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, I was just talking on the podcast about being a former retailer and working with Total Wine now with these private labels, some of which you and I work on together. And I just was curious about your thoughts. What were your thoughts about Total Wine when you were a retailer? And what are they now, now that you're a supplier? Well, Total Wine in California, as you would know, were so aggressive on their pricing for the uh, the big brand items. And it made it really, really difficult to make any money. And everyone started playing that game where you had to compete. So you would make no money on 40 distillery items that you thought, or I thought coming to America that I was going to sell as much as I could of and spread the word of scotch and make a healthy margin on McCall and Glenlivet, Glenfiddich. But the reality is you couldn't do that. Um, actually, those were the ones that you made the least money on. And Total Wine were the masters of that. You know, they they were so competitive on price, um, but it's not really their game. And it took a while to understand that. I didn't understand how they could sustain a business by making no money because you and I would see the pricing. We knew what you paid for it and we knew what it was being sold for and it didn't make sense. But once you understand their model, then it does make more sense. And actually they're kind of brilliant at what they do and they're brilliant at navigating the three-tier system and the, you know, finding an efficient way to use the three-tier system to their advantage, which doesn't involve Southern RNDC, all the big guys, you know, making their cut. And that's, kind of the the long and short of it really in this in this game in the private label game or in the the total wine game is 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 about being efficient and and bringing really high quality products to the customer in America but without the the big markups. So I don't want to speak for you but tell me if I'm correct in assuming that you feel the same way that I do. Before you worked on the supply side, you got excited by limited edition special releases from your favorite distilleries just like any other whiskey fan out there maybe there's like a new spring bank or a new art bag or something and you know you're all fired up and now maybe you're more fired up by some of the logistical things and the price points that you see these labels being able to hit knowing the quality of the whiskey vis-a-vis -vis the price yeah I, th I think when you pull back the curtain a little bit you can you can see how the business works or how the industry works and in particular the the scotch whiskey business in america and, you know, it's really about value and, and value to the consumer and, you know, not to, to go back into the three-tier system, but, it, you know, it, it, the, the price from the distillery to what that translates to on the shelf is unrecognizable. And that's the challenge. So, you know, someone like Costco, because of the volume of whiskey that they can sell and because of a, the margins that they're prepared to make because of that volume, but also the, the setup behind the scenes that they have means that you can have a whiskey on the shelf in Costco for $35, which would otherwise be more like 50 um, in a, you know, in a regular retail store because of the way that they do it. And I think that's a real eye opener. I never would have understood that uh, seven years ago before I got into the business, before I went through, you know, the whole retail side of it and competing with every man and his dog in California to try and sell whiskey. Um, but there is another way of doing it. I think working for Alexander Murray has has shown me that, and I, I've learned that really quickly. But it, I, I guess, you know, all credit to McAllen for being able to sell a 12-year-old whiskey, which is really good, 
for 65 or 70 dollars in california all credit to them because i think once you get behind the scenes and this may be personal opinion but is that whiskey worth 30 dollars more than uh you know than a, a non-big label whiskey or are you paying for an element of marketing prestige all that kind of stuff if you're just into the juice then for me i see the value in, in looking elsewhere or looking a little bit beyond the you know the, the regular you know, the big labels that everyone knows I think that's a, a great answer. And it makes me sad that premiumization is the name of the game right now, where people would rather have, you know, five $100 bottles of whiskey than 10 really good $40 bottles of whiskey, because people see this hobby and this passion as a mountain that you slowly climb to where you appreciate nicer and nicer things. And Ironically, I'm on the completely opposite journey of everybody else that I know. Everybody else assumes that I probably drink really rare stuff that I've collected over my career. And the truth is I have almost nothing in my collection. Most of what I drink is things that I'm fired up about from a logistical quality and price point point of view. So for example, I was speaking earlier about Bothan. You and I work on Bothan with Total Wine, and up until recently, I had never heard of it. Then you and I started working together. I realized it's from one of the core three Lowland distilleries. Yes, there's now 17 Lowlands, but for a long time, there were only three, and we know which one it is. And when you compare the price of Bothan against the actual brand from the distillery of which it's sourced, it's such a ridiculous deal. And that gets me excited. Well, I, I think for you and I, I, I think we feel like we're in on the secret. And, and yes, that's that brand is, is part of the business. And it's something that obviously we want to push. But being in on that secret feels it feels exciting. And you know that you don't need to pay $50 for a whiskey when you can pay 35 for you know something that is very comparable, uh, very favorable in comparison. And I, I think that's like you say, that's the that's where the skill in buying whiskey comes from. Yeah, Henry can spend, you know, $200 and get a nice bottle of whiskey. But can you spend $50 and get a really nice bottle of whiskey, which is which is just as good? Yes, you can. You just have to know where to look. You have to understand the various pricing structures and ways that people um, are able to bring in that whiskey. And that's the private label game. It is bringing some of the value uh, to the consumer and, and being less expensive than the big brands, but with no discernible drop in quality or even an increase in quality. And if you look at Costco, Trader Joe's, Total Wine, they are the masters of doing it um, in, in the US. And obviously it's it's exciting because I, you know, especially just now with everything that's going on with inflation, with cost of living crisis here and in the UK, these are items that, you know, for me are, are all for the best value in the market. Um, and we know that from working in it, but you know, the more that word gets out, I think the better that everyone's going to be for understanding that. I think one of my favorite things to do with these whiskeys is create the blend that is in um, Alfred Barnard's uh, The Whiskey Distilleries of Scotland book, the book that came out in the 1800s. In that book, he lists a recipe where you use two parts Highland, one part Lowland, one part Isla. I can't remember the exact recipe. I have it written down because I actually replicate that recipe in a decanter in my house using Bothan as my one part lowland Kirkland blended as my grain Kirkland Highland as my Highland and then the Kirkland Isla as my Isla so I'm actually able to recreate this famous blend from his book with all Alexander Murray products and they're all really affordable and 
whenever people come over to my house and drink, this is what they drink and they're always blown away. So it's, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that that's beyond my capability to be honest, but uh, I love that. And I think that's an amazing way to find what works for your palate. I think that the, I mean, the Costco whiskeys are, are truly a, a phenomenon, I think. And it's, it's interesting to look back on when Alexander Murray first started supplying the Kirkland single malts, it was McAllen. It was McAllen on the bottle. There was no secret about that. It was McAllen 20, 22, 24 on the shelf for, I think, and they were going back 15 years, but 60 bucks, something like that, which in today's world is, is kind of wild. But, uh, but that, that, um, that dedication, I think to like to quality and, and, you know, finding the value there and bring it to America obviously still exists. And that's kind of the mission of the company is to do that. But yeah, the, the home blending, um, that takes some skill. And I, I am impressed by that. Definitely gonna have to give that a go myself. Well, what I think is cool that we can share with people today is that you are running Alexander Murray now, and I'm helping you in a small capacity on the side. Given our penchant and our excitement for finding the best possible whiskeys at the best possible prices, and then being giddy about the reaction from the public to that value, I hope that instills some confidence in people that are listening that the people that are running Alexander Murray at the moment are very much excited by the idea of blowing your mind with what with what can be offered for the price. So thank you for coming on today. I know you gotta you gotta run. Awesome. Yeah. Great to chat with you, David. Thank you. And that concludes the first episode of the 219 podcast. Glad to be back at it again. And a big thank you to Chris Cusseter for joining us. We'll be back again soon with another action-packed episode for you. Looking forward to it. See you all then. Thank you.